City of Hope. It's great seeing you guys again. Uh, for those of you who are new here, my name is John Song. I am the senior pastor here. We want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us here on this Sunday morning. Um, by the look of all of your lovely sleep-deprived faces, I can tell it is daylight savings that Sunday. All right, we're so glad that you're all here. We'll see at 11 a.m., more interestingly, who set their clocks or didn't set their clocks this morning. So that should be a whole lot of fun as we get ready for service today. Um, we are so excited because we are about five weeks away from Easter, and there's just so much to celebrate and think about as we move towards uh, the day of resurrection, the day that we remember that Christ indeed has fulfilled all the promises of the covenant. And so Sundays like this are a good chance for us to recalibrate ourselves to the hope that we have in Christ, uh, the hope that we have in worshiping Him, uh, no matter what you're coming here with today, this morning, just to align ourselves to this God, align ourselves to the love of Christ that would lay down his life for us. And so with that, uh, let's all stand as God calls us to worship uh, from Psalm 95, 1 through 6. And you can read along in your bulletin or on the screen with us as we calibrate our hearts to worshiping the Lord. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Let's sing to him.
please join us as we sing our hymn of the month, Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. opportunity in our service to pray for the needs of this world, pray for the needs of this congregation, 
And uh, one of the things that you'll see in our bulletin and one of the new initiatives we've started in 2023 is weekly we'll be praying for a, a local ministry or a global ministry partner that we are supporting here at City of Hope. Uh, these organizations, these individuals represent our values. They represent the vision of our church. And so you will see here uh, this week we will be praying for the African American Ministries Coordinator Charles McKnight under the umbrella of Mission in North America and our denomination in the PCA. And so you can read more about that in the bulletin. Uh, but for right now, uh, let's take this time to go to the Lord in prayer, after which we will conclude with the Lord's Prayer. And we will say that all together. So let's, let us pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, you are the Lord that holds the universe in your hands. Lord, uh, with one word you have created all of us, with a word that you have created um, all this universe. And Lord, you are powerful. You are righteous. You are amazing. And Lord, we give you worship today because of all you are. Lord, uh, as we look at our world uh, today, uh, which has been devastated by just the sin of man, um, Lord, we long for you to restore us. We long for you to be our anchor that grounds us in changing floods and in changing times. And so, Lord, we lift up our world to you right now. We lift up, once again, the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and Russia. Lord, uh, you teach us and tell us to pray for uh, our enemies and, Lord, to uh, stand for those who are oppressed and sit under the weight of tyranny and violence. And so, Lord, would you frustrate the plans of those that would try to cause destruction? Would you protect the innocent and the weak, the orphan and the widow? Lord, as we hear stories of, of churches on the ground level who are providing uh, physical needs and spiritual care, would you be with those ministers of the gospel? Would you be with those providing aid? Lord, especially for uh, displaced mothers and children. Father, would you protect them and care for them in their time of need. Lord, we pray for the ongoing Afghan refugee crisis. Lord, we ask, uh, Lord, that you would, uh, for, for the many Afghan refugees that have immigrated to the United States, Lord, who are being cared for by local churches and congregations, we pray that you would help them uh, to, uh, Lord, heal from the trauma of leaving their land and leaving their home. We pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would provide them with jobs, with houses, Lord, with uh, love and support from these churches. And most importantly, we pray, Lord, that they would know the love of Christ. And so, Lord, would you guide and be with them. We pray for the recovery efforts from the earthquakes in Syria, Turkey. Lord, we lift up the needs of our congregation. We uh, just want to praise you for uh, Renee's parents finally having their roof restored. God, uh, thank you, Lord, for getting them through that trial that there is literally a roof above their heads and that you would uh, continue to uh, show your kindness to them. Lord, uh, we pray for Ryan. We, we ask and pray for wisdom as uh, they're navigating through how uh, to work through job transitions, and in particular, Lord, we pray that you would open a way for benefits to be provided in a way that would care for the Golding family. Pray for Ruth. We ask that you would be with her physical therapy. 
Lord, uh, that that would go well, that she would be able to walk freely. And Lord, uh, that she would uh, have healing in, um, Lord, those areas of her body that are hurting. Lord, we pray for Adam's parents, for his, his mom, Lord, and her back, his dad, for foot surgery, which will be after Easter. Lord, we pray that you would be with the medical professionals providing care. Lord, we uh, lift up uh, to you right now uh, the God of boys. We thank you for provision and just for your faithfulness to them in this season that they are in. Lord, um, as we uh, enter in uh, to a celebration of women in uh, this, this month here in our country, Lord, we are reminded of the faithful women of Scripture, we're reminded of Mary, we're reminded of Phoebe and Lydia, Lord, those who brought testimony of Jesus' resurrection to the disciples. Lord, we are reminded of the ways in which we honor and respect and love the women in Scripture, the women in our congregation, and the women in our world. Lord, may, uh, Lord, the church be the place where we see the, the complementary vision of women lifted high in their, in their talents and in their gifts. Lord, as they serve the church and love it well. And we ask, Lord, uh, that you would help us to align ourselves to your vision for biblical womanhood. Lord, um, in a world filled with much confusion on this topic, Lord, we pray for faithfulness. God, um, we lift up all of these things to you because you are a God who is faithful. You are a God who is true. And so we pray as the saints of old has prayed the way that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. During this next song, children up to the age of four are dismissed for nursery downstairs. And let's all stand as we worship the Lord together.
be seated. Deuteronomy 13, one through three. A prophet, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Mark eight eleven through 21. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from the heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into a boat again and went to the other side. Now he had forgotten to, br now they had forgotten to bring bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are, you, are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Simon, for reading. Appreciate that. Well, it is a pleasure to be with you this morning as we are on the road to Easter, which means that we have about five weeks left in this series in the Miracles of Mark. And up until this point, we have seen Jesus work miracles and seeing his character in light of them. As we've been saying throughout this series, it's not just about the miracle, it's about what the miracle says about who Jesus is and who we are in light of who Jesus is. And so today, we are not going to see Jesus perform a miracle, but rather respond to a miracle that he had performed previously. And that miracle is the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus has just come from having compassion on the crowds who didn't have anything to eat, and, and he longed to feed them until they were well-fed. He uses what the disciples gave them, and he multiplied their offerings in a way that fed everyone until they were full. There was plenty of leftovers. It's like the best Korean barbecue feast ever, just multiplying food over and over and over again. But right after this, and indeed, this is the turning point for the Gospel of Mark in general, you start to see the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, having to deal with negativity in a way that affects Christ in a way that, that, that Mark has not revealed before. You begin to see the effects of Jesus being hated, misunderstood, Jesus being constantly misrepresented, and Marx gives these glimpses of Jesus suffering and how Jesus responds. 
So this will only escalate more and more as we move closer and closer to the cross. And so our passage today shows us how Jesus responds to hostility and misunderstanding and how this reveals his character and heart for us here today. So before we begin, uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, through your son's response to difficulty, we see your heart for us. And we long to know Jesus completely. And we pray that these words today would remind us more of the beauty of your son's long-suffering with those who hated him and those whom he loved that misunderstood him. Let us become more like Jesus and know him more through the preaching of your word today. May your spirit speak now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, um, we begin by just asking you just a, a simple question. I don't mean to re-traumatize anyone in this room, but have you ever had a day when it seems like that the whole world was just against you? I say this to start off because uh, last week, Paige and I are coming off of what we have, I have officially declared as the worst vacation I have ever been on. And that, you know, please do not cry for us. It's, it's a huge blessing and privilege to go on vacation. But I'm using my pain as fuel right now, especially with these verses in this text. Uh, I, I think I'm not the only one who has had this feeling of everything going wrong. Uh, you know, you come in sort of optimistic about the future when all of a sudden just all the little things that could go wrong do go wrong. And it's not just bad, it's the worst case scenario. And just when you think you could turn to your friends to help you make sense of it all, the situation only gets worse because no one understands where you are and where you're at. Suddenly, you just feel very alone. Uh, this is what Jesus, in, in a little small way here in this text, is experiencing. He, and it's a comfort in knowing that our Savior experienced these very things, that God himself experienced this kind of moment. So today we're going to talk about how Jesus receives and responds to two different kinds of hardship. In the first part of today, we're going to talk about Christ's enemies, the Pharisees. And in the second, we're going to talk about Christ's friends, his disciples. And in this, we're going to see four things here today. Four things. One, how Christ receives hostility. Two, how Christ responds to hostility. And three, how Christ receives misunderstanding. And four, how Christ responds to misunderstanding. So let's, let's talk about how Christ receives hostility. Uh, so Jesus, is, after arriving from travel, enters into the di district of Dalmuntia, an area on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and is now running back into his nemesis that Mark has reminded us again and again up to this point, and those are the Pharisees. And immediately, they begin to swarm onto him. The text shows us the posture in which these Pharisees are addressing Jesus. Uh, they didn't come as they once before did to just merely question or inquire about him. They didn't come as they did in the tabernacle uh, to just see what Jesus was made out of. Uh, they come with the sole intention of arguing with him. Uh, now, this isn't arguing in the sense that you and I love to argue about, you know, oh, which is the f best fast food chain or who's going to win the final four this year, you know, fear the turtle. Uh, this is a word for arguing which, which has the force of the idea that uh, they're arguing not to be persuaded. It isn't about uh, the uh, honest debate of ideas. It's arguing for the sake of arguing itself. 
It's arguing simply to dispute Jesus and everything that he has done up to this point. Think of someone who's, who's a, a constant brawler. That's, that's the force behind this word for argue. Have you ever ran into an individual like this? Uh, and if you have, then you'll understand Jesus' heart right away. Uh, th- this is a person or people that whose initial reaction to anything and everything you do is to frame it in the worst possible sense. This is a person, no matter how much you extend the hand of friendship, they will find some way to uncharitably perceive anything you say and do and take it negatively. This is the kind of hostility that makes you question and wonder everything that you've ever done or said around this individual because you're wondering, how could anyone take you in that manner and way and cause them to treat you the way that they're treating you right now? Jesus is facing the Pharisees and their hostility has fully fermented and puffed up to resist Jesus and his mission at every turn. Now, you might be thinking, well, maybe the Pharisees are just longing to be persuaded because after all, they're, they're longing for Jesus to give them a sign. And at the surface level, I mean, who could argue with the idea that, you know, if Jesus is claiming to be someone special, shouldn't he try and prove it to them? Uh, wouldn't it be so easy if, if Jesus was the Messiah who came down as king, the one who would be the savior of Israel and Lebanon alike, wouldn't it be so easy for Jesus to simply send the sign win over the Pharisees, and have their devotion and worship. What could be so wrong about this? But to gloss over the Pharisees' request as an innocent measure is to not understand the motives of the Pharisees' request hidden underneath the surface. You know, sometimes uh, the question tells you all that you need to know about the heart of a person. You see, it's not just any sign that the Pharisees are asking about. It's a sign from heaven itself. And in doing so, they are invoking a Jewish commentary on Deuteronomy 18, which claims that if a prophet is truly a prophet, then he will perform and sign a miracle. But if he does not do them, then you have every right to reject them. Deuteronomy 18, 21 to 22. Um, And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Presumptuously, you need not be afraid of him. Add additional verification that the prophet will prove it and must follow the Jewish code of Deuteronomy 13 in our scripture reading this morning. And if the prophet refuses, they have every right to reject him. And you have the blueprint for how to put a heretic to death. In other words... The question is asking Jesus to submit to the authority of the Pharisees and perform wonders to appease their faith, to fulfill their desires for lordship, to give them what they want before they can claim to follow Jesus. If Jesus doesn't submit to their demands, then Jesus is essentially as good as dead. This sign from heaven that the Pharisees are asking, in essence, is blackmailing Jesus to give them what they want. This, in essence, is the root of all hostility. You see, hostility just isn't the feeling that you hate someone or that you don't like what they have to say. Hostility is the idea that the person, the individual that is the object of your hostility must go away, be put to death. The language of hostility will always be detrimental to the soul and the dignity of a person. 
Which is why, by the way, our words matter in how we speak to others and especially how we speak about those that we disagree with. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is not biblical. And it's clear that Christ here is receiving not just words of a death threat, but words that challenge his very dignity as a son of God. Now, we all know what the elephant in the room is here when we talk about what this looks like practically for all of us. In social media, what are you consuming? And how are you responding to what you are consuming? We often believe that things like this won't affect us, that we are somehow above all of the toxicity that we see online, all the hostility that we see. But you know, what's astonishing to me is if all the research that we have out there, and there's been extensive research on this, all the research that the more time we spend on these platforms, it leads to greater toxic polarization, greater uncharitability towards our opponents. It leads in many cases, if it's polarized enough, to violence and death. It's amazing to me that we think that we are somehow immune from its effects. Uh, nowhere have I seen a generation that says, looks at all of this, looks at the overwhelming consensus of the research, which is unparalleled in history, and the response from the public is, I don't have a problem, I can stop at any time. Hostility destroys. Hostility kills. So, how does Jesus respond to all this hostility? Our second point here today. What, what does Jesus do with all of this? Look at verse 12 of our text here today. Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Now, this might seem surprising to hear from Jesus given the fact that he's been performing miracles and wonders all across Israel and the Gentile lands. I mean, what, what is Jesus doing? Is he contradicting himself here? After all, he's shown and proven in other places that his authority is real through the works of miracles. So what is Jesus saying here? Notice, again, the sign that the Pharisees are asking. A sign from heaven. And it goes a little bit deeper than that. It's a sign that will make someone believe in the truth. A sign that is conditional to faith. So what does this mean? It means that no sign is going to be given to say that Jesus will be Lord if the demands are met from man. Why is that? Well, we have to remember what faith actually is. What is faith? Hebrews 11 gives us a great definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. You see, it's not by verification alone that we are saved, or by sight alone that we are saved. So the very idea that we would be given a conditional sign from Jesus to make us believe runs contrary to the very idea of what faith in God looks like. Jesus is saying that these kind of signs will not be given to us because it ruins what Christ actually came here for. Remember all of those people that came to Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. It was their belief before Jesus healed them that made it come to light. It's the belief that Christ is who he says he is first 
before Christ acts. Christ isn't dealing with people who reject him and then uses the miracle to confirm who he is. Christ is dealing with the signs and wonders for those who have believed in his grace already. So this should give us two implications from the text. One for us as Christians and uh, one for us as potential Pharisees. The first implication for us as Christians is to recognize that in the same way that Christ will receive hostility from the Pharisees is the way that many who hear the message of the gospel will reject us. There is a point in our evangelism, despite how much we try and care for others, despite how much we try and point them to a winsome apologetic, despite our acts of good deeds and kindness and how much we live outside the stereotype others place for Christians in the world, uh, nothing that we say or do will make them understand Jesus because they have in their hearts already made up in their mind that they will never accept Christianity. And if you've ever been through this, you will know how painful this is. Because when we think of this, we're not thinking of distant people who hate us and want nothing to do with us. We think of family members. Uh, We think of friends. We think of people whom we grew up with and loved. Maybe even people that inspired us in our faith, who cared for us well in difficult seasons. So when Jesus here in this text sighs deeply in his spirit, we can resonate with the way in which we long for them to realize what they should know. But in following Jesus, we must recognize that there is a point where the best thing that we can do to love them is to disengage from the hostility and the argument. Is to disengage and stop trying to prove Christianity towards not taking the bait that they have presented to slam us even further. Countless hours spent on your social media account arguing with people you've never even met about the finer point of doctrine is not what God is directing us to spend our time on. Rather, Christ would have us better committed to a different kind of apologetic. One rooted in the love of the stranger and the foreigner, the orphan and the widow, hospitality to those in need of help and aid, those who not might be the signs and wonders that your opponents wish to see, but it will show them of a Christ who's transformed you in such a way that it rises above hostility. But the other implication lies just not for the others out there, but the potential ways, and this is my second implication, about how we are tempted to treat Christ in the same way as the Pharisees did. Now, um, if you're a church person, you'll realize that right now I'm setting uh, this up in a way to direct this back at all of you, because if there's one thing that pastors can be counted on, one of the great mysteries of the faith is that pastors like myself, who love their congregations, often find themselves in sermons telling their congregations that all of them are Pharisees. This is hard for me because as much, there, there are much better and gracious ways to tell you that you are all sinners. But the text, right, here today is clearly here. And so I must preach the text. Guilt is not the gospel. No pastor should use the weapons of manipulation and shame to force their congregations into progress that can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit. But again, I must preach the text. So here we go. Let me ask you just some questions. And maybe I'll let the Holy Spirit do the work here. Is your love of Christ conditional based upon how much good you see right in front of you? Is your faith built only solely on the results of Christ and not the person of Christ? 
Is your coming here this morning to the presence of God done to appease your own sense of shame, forgetting that Jesus has taken your shame on the cross already? Are you litigating against God in your heart, saying to God that he must act in a way that you perceive to be good without asking yourself the question of whether or not God has been good to you already? Are you more worried about what the world will say about Jesus than who Jesus claims that he is? These are tough questions because I don't know about you, but in phases and seasons of my life, particularly when I'm tired and I'm stressed and I'm overwhelmed and I'm wondering where God is in all of this, I can fall prey to the exact same mentality here of the Pharisees. God, give me something. Let me know that you are there. Why am I dealing with this, God? What's the deal? Give me a sign. And what is the astounding contradiction of the Pharisees throughout all of this? It's because the Pharisees have already seen Jesus at work repeatedly. It's not like this is the first time that Jesus has performed miracles in their midst. It's one of the first things that he does. The healing of the demon-possessed man in the temple. The witness of the paralytic that was let down from the roof. It's Jesus healing on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees, time and time again, have witnessed the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, and they just want him to do it again and again and again, thinking that the next time that it's done, then it will finally make them believe and trust. You see, when you reject Jesus, the goalposts keep on just being moved forward. There's nothing that he can say or do that will make you believe. And so Jesus leaves. And heads to the boat where he once again travels with his disciples. And this is the point where we come to how Jesus receives misunderstanding. This is our third point here today. The disciples now reveal to us the heart of every person who has ever gone on a road trip. They remember everything but the snacks. There is no Royal Farms. Or for you Philly folks in our congregation, no Wawa or Highs. Am I right? Like Philly people, that's, that's, your, that's your gas station of choice, right? Okay. All they've got for this journey on this boat is one loaf of bread. Now, Jesus sees this moment to help them understand more and more about what they have just experienced with the Pharisees, a way of demonstrating his teaching ministry to them that clarifies more about the kind of hostility the Pharisees were showing to them. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, he warns them. You see, he's longing for them to understand that the signs the Pharisees are asking are tantamount to rejection. Just like King Herod's heart, who we see in other Gospels, is longing for Jesus to play the role of sort of, you know, this prophetic magician and see signs performed in front of him. But, but the disciples, they hear this, and as they are often are prone to doing, completely miss the point of what Jesus is trying to say. You see, they think that Jesus is actually talking about physical leaven about physical bread, and so they get into their group chat and wonder why they had no bread. They are worried and heading out into this journey to see across food, and to be fair to them, they, they're very concerned about the current moment, about the fact that they're about to go on dangerous travel. But they don't know where the real danger is. They are 
disciples taking things way too literally and not understanding Jesus' metaphor. Uh, these are classic right-brain kind of people. Who are my right-brain people here in this congregation, right? Very literal, right? Okay, some of you are just honest today. Praise God for you. Thank you, right? Uh, Left-brain people, right? You love metaphor, poetry, you know, like all that stuff, artistry. Right? You, you may have had a better chance of understanding Jesus here in this text, but chances are we would have all fallen in the same category as the disciples. You see, Jesus was trying to describe the reality that we discussed earlier. The disciples are looking past what Jesus is saying and trying to decipher Jesus apart from Jesus. They turn to discussing with one another rather than looking at the living word himself and gathering the meaning that is entirely against what Jesus is intending in the first place. You see, the danger isn't the lack of food. The dangers is that the disciples of Jesus could have their hearts hardened, reject Jesus. The danger is that you are fixated on the scarcity of the current moment, in this case bread, and not looking to what Christ is offering you. This is a big danger for all of us, no matter what kind of church uh, you might have grown up in. Um, I said this in our first membership class that we offered, and I realized that I, I think this is good just for all of us to hear. Uh, you know, there are probably three big categories of churches that all of us have grown up in the church. Um, in our PCA, our Denomination of General Assembly, uh, Tim Keller and Lincoln Duncan had this big discussion of, of sort of the three categories of churches that make up the ethos of what people grow up in. Okay, so the first is a doctrinal-based church which primarily emphasize correctly the very need for doctrine in all circumstances. So these churches are heavy on knowledge, heavy on philosophy, heavy on church history, but they might have been very thin on application, cultural contextualization, or even a personal relationship with Jesus. So in a doctrinally-based church, as long as you know, you're good. And then there are those who grew up primarily in a cultural kind of church. You know, it, it's, its ethos, very rightly, was based on serving the community, heavy on acts of mercy, right? Heavy on compassion towards the nation, strong on evangelism. But they might have actually been very thin on biblical faithfulness, personal accountability, prayer. So, in the ethos of the church, of a culturalist church, is as long as you served, you were good. And then there's this third category. This is the pietistic church. Uh, this church is heavily, heavily emphasized this personal relationship with God above all else. Right? Emphasized rightly, heavy on prayer, heavy on quiet times, heavy on the worship experience. But they might have been very thin on correct, faithful, biblical practice. Reaching and loving your neighbor. Uh, and personal accountability. So it was as long as you and you had a relationship with God, you were good in a pietistic church environment. The disciples here, you see, are committing all three of these church errors. They have a Jesus who could explain the very teachings of what he's trying to say, but instead they try and deal with it culturally with one another and believe that they've got a greater handle on it personally on their own apart from what Christ is saying. They try to discern the word of God for themselves. 
So in this, I want to say in, to each and every single one of us and ask ourselves the question, what foundation maybe have you grown up with and what dangers might you be exposed to because of that? What is your basis for coming to a conclusion on what Jesus is saying? What is your basis and ultimate authority in determining the facts of what Christ is reaching out and saying to you all? Otherwise, you are prone to misunderstand Christ. So if you're a doctrinalist, you may be prone to allowing your theological tradition and theological history to determine the truth of Scripture rather than what Jesus might be claiming. If you're a culturalist, you might be prone to allow our current cultural climate or, on the flip side of that, anti-cultural climate to determine the truth of what Scripture is saying. And if you're a pietist, you can't be convinced of anything other than what you believe Scripture is saying. And all three of these get into this error. How do we best understand? Uh, maybe an analogy would help. Um, so on Friday, we had this amazing opportunity uh, to go full Marie Kondo on all of our church closets here uh, at, at the Stone House. Right, we got two of them here, right? And uh, shout outs to all the volunteers who helped out uh, about 22, 23 uh, work hours were spent just kind of organizing, labeling, and getting everything done. Uh, and, and we found, as we were cleaning out all these closets, uh, just items that we just could not understand. Why are these items here in the closet of the church, okay? Uh, like, we found this artifact kit called a boombox, right? It has this thing where you put, like, a tape cassette in it and a CD in it. It's, it's this amazing thing. Why is this here, right? What is this doing here? We had no context or understanding of what's going on. Now, I'm new to the church, and one of the things I found was this, like, ginormous painting of mountains uh, on these, like, four boards, and I come to find out someone had to, an authority had to come and explain to me, oh, Pastor John, this isn't just some random painting that we have just decided to keep in our church closet. This is the painting for the Christmas play, right? We cannot throw this mural away. It's too precious to us, right? Right? So we must keep it. And so I have no context for it, right? I have to listen to the authority that understands what's in the closet and what we need to keep. In the same way, we need to go to an authority to help us to make sense of what Scripture is saying. We need Scripture to tell us what Scripture is meaning. So, we need to see how Jesus responds to misunderstanding. Our final point here today. Jesus proceeds to challenge his disciples in a way that reminds it that simply because they are Jesus' disciples, uh, they haven't arrived yet. There is still much for them to learn. There is still much for them to understand. There is still much need to open their minds and hearts to as Christ's disciples. And most importantly, they need to remember already what Jesus has already accomplished for them. This is precisely why Jesus goes into this long discussion about the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, which happened earlier in the book of Mark. Jesus is reminding them of the reality that they don't need to care about how many loaves of bread they brought onto the boat. Jesus has five loaves. 5,000 people were fed with leftover baskets. Jesus fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, and they had leftovers. 
Jesus is trying to remind them that they don't need to worry about what they will need to consume on their journey. Jesus is reminding them what they really need to worry about is what they're consuming in their hearts. For Jesus, his main compassion for his disciples is to guard them and prepare them for ideologies and teachings that would give rise to, like leaven, to unbelief. Misunderstandings of Jesus, just like misunderstandings today, are so easy to find in our world and can be so disarming of what reality we are living in. You know, we try to go out there, we try to see, and we try to be discerning, but the reality is that everything around us, just like every generation before them, has become untrustworthy. Misinformation campaigns can't be torn fast, can't be torn down fast enough before more conspiracy theories. QAnon lies and other forms of evil spread like wildfire. It becomes hard to root oneself in the idea that there is this universal truth that we can cling on to. And Jesus understands this for all of us. And what does he call his disciples to ground them and us here today? He calls us to find ourselves and the truth that we live in through the reality of his completed works. He calls us to see what he has done in the course of human history and what he has done in our lives. You see, in other words, the ways to deal with the misunderstandings about Jesus, the world, the things that we encounter to lead us away from is to remind ourselves of everything that he has done to provide and carry us through already. And for us, we have the ultimate sign and wonder, don't we? We have a crucified and resurrected Jesus to look to. We have seen the forgiveness that we have experienced, the freedom that has been granted to us, the joy that overtook us when we first came to faith, a zeal to want to follow him. We have witnessed the transformative power of Christ to release us from the bondage of sin, to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly before our Lord, to care for the oppressed, the weak, the poor, to fight against injustice. And like the disciples, we allow the present moment to scar us into questioning God and to rejecting Him. And so this needs to be said for all of us here today. Your current struggle does not mean the Savior has ceased working. The beauty of the cross is that the work is finished for your redemption. The work of glory continues on. And this present darkness will not have the final say of what God will do in your life. How does Christ respond to the hostility and misunderstandings of the world and us? He presses on towards the work of redemption. He gets on the boat and he moves forward. He opens up with greater, greater clarity about himself, even to the hard-heartedness of his disciples and the misunderstandings they carry with them, and goes to the cross until they realize fully who he is. Do you ever think about how patient Jesus had to be to do this? Three years, every single moment, step by step, knowing that they would mishear him, that they would betray him, they would walk away. They would be asking Jesus annoying questions like, who is going to be the greatest? Which one of us is going to be the best? Rank us. Knowing that they would even deny him. 
Jesus patiently waiting for the day when their understanding would be fully realized and know Jesus in such a way that it would lead to the change of the entire known world. Jesus' patience led to the revealing of the understanding of Christ to his disciples and to the church. Jesus' patience brings us all here today. So Jesus, even though he's rebuking his disciples to move past the misunderstandings, still journeys with his disciples. Jesus walks with them. Jesus doesn't give up or lose heart in the face of hostility, in the face of misunderstanding. Why? Because Jesus longs for us to know him truly. Jesus is calling for the church to know him. So, if you're here today in rejection of Jesus, maybe you're living in hostility to him, demanding a sign to prove that he's real. My exhortation to you today is look to the cross of Christ as he's already revealed himself to you. And you don't need any other more proof of who he is. You don't need to be his enemy anymore. You can be his friend. And to those of you who are his disciples, you can take rest in the fact that the Jesus who feeds the thousands will feed you even though you feel like you cannot make it forward. That Jesus will guide you to a greater understanding of himself a pathway that will live on towards greater fruitfulness. That Jesus is not done with you yet. Church, may we be the place that deals with hostility and misunderstanding and goes on to make Jesus' glory greatly known together. Let's pray. So here we have the opportunity now to silently confess before God. We have an opportunity to repent of our hostility towards Jesus. We have an opportunity to repent of our misunderstandings of him. We have an opportunity to repent of our pride in thinking that we know because of the traditions we grew up in. We have an opportunity to hear Jesus as he is presenting himself in Scripture. So take this time personally, confess your sins for him, and know that you are forgiven. Let's pray silently together. Let us now confess together as a congregation, corporately together, uh, this prayer from the Book of Common Worship. Let's say this all together. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and confess our manifold sins, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us.
Have mercy upon us, have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may ever herefore serve and please thee in newness of life to the honor and glory of thy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear now this declaration of pardon and knowing that you are forgiven because scripture tells us so. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Your sins are forgiven. Your dignity is restored. Your shame is taken away. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Friends, your spot at the table is set. Instead of demanding signs and wonders, we look to the signs that Christ has already given to us. Uh, this sign and seal of God's grace, of God's covenant promises, of his body that was broken, of his blood that was shed for the sins of many. And so in taking these elements, uh, there, there's no, uh, nothing physically here in the elements that's going to give you this grace. But spiritually, we are reminding ourselves and feasting on Christ and his promises. And so if that's your confession, if you believe that Christ has done this for you, despite all your misunderstandings, this table is for you. If that is not your confession here this morning, uh, we simply ask that you do not come to receive these elements, but we ask that you would receive Christ. We would ask that you'd stop acting in hostility towards him, that you would run to him, and we would love to be able to pray with you after service, tell you more about this Jesus. Uh, Right here, we have the clearer liquid is grape juice. Uh, the darker liquid is wine. Uh, we also have gluten-free crackers available for you. Otherwise, both cups will contain both elements. Uh, and it's appropriate right now for us as the church to confess what we believe as we take this together. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us lift up our hearts to the Lord our God. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood that was shed for the sins of many. 
The elders will come forward and serve these elements for you. We ask that you uh, stand and come forward to receive the elements as our worship team leads us in singing. Come to the table of the Lord. it will never lose its power. This is why we come to the table. Jesus said, this is my body. Take me. Jesus said, this is my blood. Drink of it. One of the ways that we can respond uh, also to the, uh, the preaching of God's word is to take offering. It's a, a chance for us to be generous to the God who has been so generous to us. 
Uh, we do want to point out, uh, I highlight a change that maybe we not, have been not so clear about in 2023, and we just want to make sure that, aware, uh, that you're aware of it. In 2023, we actually changed one of our designated giving funds, our missions funds, to be separate from the actual promised amount of giving that we give to our missions partners. So what does this mean? In other words, um, in our budget, we have baked in that we will fully support our missionaries for what we've promised to them. And that means our missions fund is going to be a separate fund set away uh, to be able to discern and how we can continue and support our missions work above and beyond our dedicated support. So if you give online, you'll be able to click on that tab to know that there is that mission fund that you can able to give to and help support in how we can additionally come alongside and support our missions partners. Um, also, you will see a designated fund for deacons. We want to encourage you to continue to give to our deacons as they support the work of Mercy Ministry, and all of that will be available for you. But for right now, uh, let's sing the doxology and uh, let's give our offerings to God. stand as we sing our final song for the day. Hear, hear my cry. i 
We have just a couple of announcements before we end today's service. Uh, many of you might be wondering what are we doing for Good Friday. Um, Columbia Presbyterian Church, one of our sister churches in our denomination, is actually without a senior pastor right now. And they said, well, City of Hope has a senior pastor and it's in Columbia, Maryland. So what do you feel about doing a joint uh, Good Friday service? And so the elders decided, yes, we would uh, love to do that uh, to support one of our sister churches. So we'll be having Good Friday service at Columbia Pres at 7 p.m. But Easter will be here. And uh, we've got a lot of surprises for you for Easter uh, set up. Um, baptism of infants. We're going to have uh, special guest musicians. It's going to be amazing. So please come out for Easter. Invite family and friends for that. Um, also, uh, we are shifting our volunteer scheduling starting in April. We just wanted to give you some heads up. Um, currently, the way that we've been doing volunteer scheduling, for those of you volunteers, is that you get a, an email every week saying, can you serve? 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 And, and that, that becomes a little grading after a while, week to week. So instead, what we're doing is we are going to be moving to quarterly scheduling. In April, you're going to get one email for the next three months uh, when you're scheduled. And the hope is that you'll answer it once. You'll still receive reminders about when you're going to serve. But the hope is that that will help us to give us some runway uh, for three months and so that you will stop receiving email from all of us on a, on a regular basis. Um, if you are interested in helping out with Easter, we're going to need a lot of help that Sunday. Please contact me. Um, we want to make this place feel very special. Uh, this is our Super Bowl. This is our grand finale. And so please, uh, if you want to help with that, please email me. And finally, if you are seeking baptism, uh, infant or otherwise, uh, please email us and we will get that set up. So now, we'll conclude our service with the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let us go forth to serve the city and the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. <laughs>